Welcome to the PA is in the show created by PAs for PAs where codependency with your supervising physician is a thing of the past. Optimal team practice is the future and physician associate has taken the place of physician assistant as the professional title of choice. I'm Tracy Bingaman and I'm obsessed with redefining what success as a PA looks like and what it feels like. Here you'll find the mindset shifts, systems, and processes I use to escape healthcare burnout and integrate my work into my life. Work-life balance is a myth and an integrated life where you thrive professionally, not a balancing act, is the goal here. My mission is to help you to grow into a unicorn PA who loves their job, has abundant energy, time to spare, and work-optional financial freedom. The PA is in. When is the last time that you looked really closely at your financial goals and held them up against the way that you're living your lifestyle right now to see if you're on track with saving and investing and if you know how much money you're going to need and when you're going to need it for short, mid, and long-term financial goals? Our guest today is Caleb Pepperday. Caleb is going to talk about the importance of financial planning and why it is deeply personal, how we handle our money, what we're saving for, and really identifying why we're going to want that money and when. Without further ado, here he is, certified financial planner, Caleb Pepperday. Caleb, thank you for joining us. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. I would love it if you could just give us a quick introduction about you and what you do. Yeah, sure. So I'm a certified financial planner uh, and owner of Advanced Practice Planning LLC. So uh, what I do on a on a daily basis is a, a financial planner specifically for advanced practice providers. So uh, really, the reason that I kind of went into the medical space or helping out medical uh, professionals is uh, I saw my brother. So my brother is a physician, and I saw there's a lot of advisors out there, a lot of financial planners that are willing to help physicians, um, you know, that group of people, but there's not a, a ton of people, really anybody that's that's willing or able to, to help out PAs or nurse practitioners or nurse anesthetists. So I really wanted to come in and fill that gap um, and, and be a resource uh, to, to those professionals. And, and side note, my wife is a, is a PA as well. Um, and, and really just found that there wasn't a whole lot of education throughout school. And then when, once she graduated, around the financial planning topic. So like I said, really wanted just to be a resource to fill that gap and provide some education for the profession. Absolutely. I think this is such a needed thing for APPs to have specific resources that address challenges that we're facing and also help us to utilize our biggest wealth building tool, which is our income. Because I think we come out and we're making really great money. And some of us do that when we're very young. Like, So if you go straight through, you graduate at 23, 24, and you have this great income. And that income is very shiny, right? It feels like, hey, I'm out. I'm making all this money. But it's really not about how much money you're making, but what you do with that money. So I would love it if you would tell us a little bit about, I hate when I hear people say, everyone needs to be saving money. Because I think everyone does need to be saving money. But could you break down the difference of saving money versus investing and why we need to make sure we're doing, honestly, probably both and what we should be saving for versus what we should be investing for? 
Yeah, great question. I'll, I'll give you just a practical example. There's there's often often times where uh, I'm working with somebody and they say, hey, I have a Roth IRA set up at Fidelity or I have an individual brokerage account set up at Fidelity uh, and I'm investing into that account uh, on a monthly basis. And I, you know, I, you know, obviously that's a great thing to do. And I asked for a statement to see, hey, what are you invested in? What different positions are you invested in the S&P 500? Are you invested in international stocks? What does it look like? And oftentimes, whenever I actually get that statement back, the money is just sitting in cash. Uh, and, and that's a perfect example of saving versus investing. So saving is just the act of actually putting those dollars into a specific buck, bucket that is marked for whether it's midterm, mid short-term, or long-term goals. And then investing is actually buying specific investments for the long-term or for the short-term to achieve those specific goals. So big difference between actually saving money and then putting that money to work and investing it into various different investment uh, vehicles. And I think this has become a little bit less clear lately because I see a lot of people talking about high yield savings accounts and they're making it seem like a savings account is going to make you money where, and I think a high yield savings account is great. And if you want to put your emergency fund in one, awesome. However, it's not going to be a rate that is going to be outstripping inflation, that is going to be really building wealth. It's simply a little cherry on top of the fact that you have that money set aside. Whereas investing, the investing is to grow over time. Investing is to take advantage of compound interest and to have that money grow into something way more than you earned in the first place. Exactly. Yeah. And, that, and that's where I I think that short-term savings, you know, for expenses that are coming up within the next 12 to 18 months, their short-term savings accounts are great. So whether it's something that you can get at your local bank or really a, a high-yield savings account uh, that doesn't have a brick and mortar um, you know, building to it, so to speak, those are typically great resources to get potentially higher interest rates. But but like you said, it's it's really based off of the Federal Reserve interest rates that we we kind of hear about on a, a monthly basis going up and down. Um, you know, the, the interest rates you're receiving on those those savings accounts, they're they're not long term. So it's it's not something that you can look at, you know, potentially in even five years, three years, one year from now, that rate might be completely different than what it is now. So totally agree. You gotta you gotta make sure that you're positioning your investments or your savings to what your goals actually are uh, for those dollars. Yeah. And I think that getting really clear on what your goals are from a short-term savings you know, standpoint to a debt reduction standpoint to like what I want to have invested when, because I think we get in this mindset of more is better. I want to save more. I want to invest more, which is the answer for a lot of us who are sort of looking at what we want to have you know, when it's time to not work anymore. But more is not a goal, right? So like having more invested, but rather having a specific goal, I want to have this much saved by this specific date. Those things are going to really help us to hit those goals for sure. Exactly. Yeah. And I think really, you know, this is kind of cliche to say, but it really comes down to what your, what your end goals are. I recently did a post uh, on LinkedIn about uh, not being the richest person in the cemetery. Oftentimes what I find is you know, clients get to those those uh, retirement years or those end years, and they've accumulated all these dollars, but they don't really know what their their purpose was. So they didn't have a a designed purpose for the money that they were saving, and they didn't have a use by date. 
So when we go to the grocery store, everything you buy has a use by date or an expiration date. Uh, money works, it should work in a similar fashion, but oftentimes it doesn't. And what I see is a lot of times either people just accumulate a lot of money, which obviously isn't a bad thing, but they may have foregone some of the luxuries or the, the things in life previously, like taking vacations or you know giving gifts to children, things like that, uh, rather than kind of accumulating this nest egg that they just kind of have there um, you know, for, for the long term that potentially they may never use. Sure. So let's talk a little bit about retirement and investing for retirement versus investing for financial independence. So can you break down those terms and tell us what it means to be financially independent? And if someone, me, this is me, wants to be financially independent before retirement age, what do we do to make sure we have enough in retirement, but also that we have enough money that we can get to when we want it? Yeah, great, great question. So really retirement changes and it's changed over time. So a lot of people think retirement is the age of 65 or whenever I can start collecting social security, which is typically age 62. Um, so that's that's like the, the stereotypical retirement uh, age. Really the earliest you can start accessing with your money is age 59 and a half with some exceptions from different types of investment accounts. So whether it's your 401k at work, 403b plans, uh, Roth IRAs, things like that. That's really kind of when the, the the handcuffs come off, so to speak, and when you can access those dollars. So that that's more of like the traditional retirement age or time frame. So anywhere between age fifty nine and a half and really sixty five. Uh, and, and so that's kind of a base for a lot of people to say, "Hey, I want to be able to retire at that point in time." But a lot of times, you know, especially with with APP specifically, is you're making great incomes there is an opportunity to potentially retire early if you want to. So um, typically what I find is that a lot of uh, investors or a lot of clients that I work with are interested in the FIRE movement. So the financial independence retire early. Um, and, and really what I, I like to help people decide is, is financial independence and retiring early really what you want to do? Or is it retiring or having financial independence and then really being able to do whatever you want. Um, and, and a lot of times what I find is that uh, people don't have a next act lined up. So, you know, they, they, they have this goal of let's, let's retire early, they get to age 45 or age 50, and then, you, you know, you sit down and you're like, all right, great, I can retire now. I, I have enough money that I'm financially independent, so to speak. So I'm not relying fully on my employment income uh, to, to pay my bills. A lot of times people don't actually know what they're going to do throughout the day. Uh, and so what I, I, I try to do an exercise with a lot of my clients is I literally have them fill out a schedule of what I'm going to do each hour of the day, um, you know, for a whole week. So what is a typical week, whether it's in retirement or whether it's in your financial independence uh, age, what are you actually going to do throughout the day? A lot of times what I hear is, oh, I'll go on vacation. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll golf a lot more. Well, vacation, you know, that maybe is two weeks out of the year. What are you going to do for the other 50 weeks? Uh, and a lot of times I, I, there's, uh, you know, people haven't really thought about that. Uh, and they haven't really kind of considered what that really means for their situation. And a lot of times what it actually comes down to is, is the clients, there's certainly clients that want to retire early and kind of do, do whatever they want to. But 
Um, I kind of see more clients want to go and approach fire as financial independence, recreational employment. So what they really want is they want to potentially not do what they're doing at their nine to five job. Maybe it's still in medicine. Maybe it's something completely different, but they want to have control and purpose over what they're doing on a daily basis uh, and, and kind of having control over their time versus, you know, their you know paycheck determining what they're going to do on a daily basis. So uh, that was a little bit of a long winded answer, but I think it's important to help differentiate between what does retirement mean and then what you actually want to get out of the, the financial independence, whether it's age 50, whether it's age 65, like what do you actually want to do uh, on a daily basis once you reach there? Yeah. When I think about this, I think about like the term financial independence to me, like literally means our money that we have saved and invested is earning more than we are. So if we stopped working, it would keep producing so that we wouldn't have to change a thing. But also it means you're not dependent on your job anymore. And I think there's this like gray area between living paycheck to paycheck and being completely financially independent where you have financial flexibility. So for us, that was when I got super burned out and said, I can't keep going like this. I have to quit my job that we had enough financial flexibility that I could leave that job. We could drop to one income. And it wasn't like a big, huge emergency that we are able to sort of keep on keeping on and that we had enough margin financially, enough of an emergency fund, enough in savings, enough to sort of buffer that financial turbulence that came with me leaving my job. So I think it's really not about the money, which is strange because we're talking about money, we're talking about finances, but it's more about what that money gives you. It gives you choices. It gives you time back. It gives you the flexibility to walk away from a job if it's not serving you anymore. Because again, it's not that money makes us happy. It's that money makes us able to live lives that are more like the ones that we want, as opposed to maybe the schedule or sort of the grueling nature of what we're doing currently. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a great point. And I think a lot of times now, the, the financial planning industry has has changed a little bit in recent years. But even when you look at financial planning software, for example, so stuff that's really ingrained into uh, how financial planners actually plan for people's long-term future, it's all based on retirement, like a single retirement goal. So, you know, when you plug in numbers, it's like, all right, what, you know, let's let's see what happens if you retire at 50. Uh, you know, or let's see what happens when you retire at 55 or 60. But what we've been seeing recently is that a lot of people, especially younger professionals, don't want to have this goal of retiring at uh, you know nine to five till 65 and then kind of go from there. They want to work for maybe five years or 10 years, then take a two-year sabbatical. Uh, or you know, start a family, take a little bit of time off, then go back into the workforce. And I think that working and planning around those complexities is is something that's really a lot of fun as an advisor. Uh, but truthfully, like a lot of people, either they don't necessarily have the expertise in, uh, or just really aren't familiar with with clients that are kind of taking that approach. And I think uh, APPs and PAs have a unique ability to do that, just based off of their earning. Uh, potential and also their career potential, whether it's private practice or, uh, you know, doing stuff that that you're doing, Tracy, where it's more educational and you can kind of let's be an entrepreneur and, and do different things out 
outside of traditional medicine. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that the thing that drew us to medicine was almost always a passion for taking care of other people. So when you are in a profession where you feel like it's both a job and a career and a vocation where you feel like I was called to do this thing. I was called to show up in this way and take care of patients. It's sort of weird to think like, and how soon can I stop? That's like a contraindication to sort of how we got into it in the first place. But also we know that things come up. We know that burnout exists. We know that parents get sick. We know that sometimes our kids have a season where they need more of us at home than we've been able to provide based on how many hours we've been working. So to me, anything that you can do to sort of pad that margin so that if something comes up, you can make that choice to step back when your kids are really young or even just say, hey, you know, I need to work part time and hopefully your job is accommodating to that. But it's that the hours are what you need back and that the money is not sort of handcuffing you to being in that full time, you know, full steam ahead position. That's such a beautiful thing. And I think the medical profession lends itself to that, that we can have these positions where we work 212s or where we have a job share with someone, you know, that if you sort of carve out those spaces for yourself, that you can do that, stay current, stay licensed, you know, not step all the way away if that's what you want to do. But that medicine can be this important thing, this passion, this calling, and also simply a part of who you are as a human being and how you show up in the world. It's a good reminder of that for sure. For sure, for sure. We interrupt this broadcast with a very important announcement. You are not making enough money. Your practice and your physician do not understand the value you are adding to their patients, and therefore, you aren't earning what you're worth. If in the past your requests for a raise have been met with one single word, no. If you're working more hours than ever and seeing more patients, but you're not making any more money and you're feeling pissed about it. If you feel like you've hit the ceiling of your income band, this guide is for you. I've compiled the five most costly and most common mistakes that PAs make when asking for a raise, and I've told you how to avoid them and what to do instead. Download your free guide at tracybingaman.com slash mistakes. So that's sort of, I'm going to jump around here a little because as we're talking about that, it, it really reminds us that money is very personal. So you and I have very different goals. We have very different lifestyles. And even if we have sort of the same, you know, passion for finance or the same sort of thoughts about budgeting that you and I are going to want to go totally different places in our lives financially. So let's talk about that personal nature because finances freak people out and no one wants to talk about it. And it's this taboo subject, like, you know, you're not going to talk about it with your family or your friends and, you know, and there's sometimes shame wrapped up in how we manage our finances. So let's unpack that personal aspect about personal finance a little bit and how that goal setting is going to look different for every person who hears this episode. Yeah. And that, that's a great point. So what I, what I hear a lot of times when I'm working with clients, and this is typically you know, after an initial meeting or after we've we've kind of gotten some some basic things taken care of, they they ask a question in, in in some different version of this. They ask, you know, what are other people like me doing uh, to to you know achieve their goals? And it's really kind of a loaded question. In 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 personal finance, it's it's exactly what the the name means. You know, it's personal. So 
some people have a goal of, of building a, a big house. Uh, some people have a goal of, I want to travel five times a year and I want to, you know, you know, kind of maybe put off uh, having kids until later in life. Or maybe some people say, hey, I love working in medicine. I don't really care about retiring early. You know, I can see myself doing this till 70. So there's your goals determine one, how much money you need to have saved. And then two, you know, what you actually want to do on an ongoing basis to achieve those goals. So whether that's picking up, let's say you want to retire early, uh, you know, working part time, you know, for the next 40 years, isn't going to get the job done. You know, that, you know, for example, you might need to pick up extra shifts. You might need to work 50, 60 hours a week, uh, or, you know, you might need to increase your savings from the typical 10 to 15% of your salary, maybe more into that, you know, 30 to 35, 40% of your salary. So there's different goals and, th and then there's different, uh, you know, steps or action items that you need to take that match up with your specific goals. Uh, and again, they're going to be different for every specific person depending on what you actually want to achieve. And there's no right or wrong answer. So if you want to work until 55 and then, you know, kind of take it, take your foot off the pedal, that's fine. If you want to work, you know, forever, you know, there's no rule book on, on what the right answer is. It's really what it comes down to, you know, what your personal situation is and then seasons of life. So your goals are going to change. So when you come out of school at, at 24, 25, your goals are going to look a lot different than what they are at 50 or what they're going to look like at 65, things like that. So uh, it's an ongoing process that uh, is, is kind of hard to pin down specifically, but there's certainly steps you can take uh, along the way to make sure that you're achieving those, those personal goals. Yeah. And also being open to those things changing and that as your seasons of life ebb and flow, it might have been, oh, we were, you know, saving at this rate and spending at this rate. And now something has changed and we've decided that we're going to save at this rate and spend at this rate. And that when those things happen, that if you have done this work and you figured out these are our goals, this is what we're doing to achieve those goals. When your season changes, then you know what to do. Okay, we go back to the goal. Is this still the goal? And then we go back to the action items. Is this still what we need to be doing in order to achieve the new goal? Or does this need to be adjusted? I think there's a lot of the automatic millionaire and set it and forget it. And like, you shouldn't be thinking about money. It should be happening automatically without you noticing it. And I think there's something to be said for automatically investing and automatically funding some of these accounts. But even with that, you cannot be on autopilot for 50 years and look up and expect for things to be, you know, going well. So what do you recommend for people to sort of, how often do we recalibrate? Is this a monthly thing? Is this a quarterly thing? Because not everyone loves a spreadsheet as much as I love a spreadsheet. So there are some people listening who are like, don't make me look at my money again. So how often are people really reevaluating these things? Yeah, I, I almost have different rules for different things that you're looking at. So let's say your 401k, for example, once you get it set up to the allocation that you want to, really like i wouldn't check it more than maybe once or twice a year because there's far more behavioral negative things that can come out of it than positives because chances are if you look at your 401k account you're not going to change the investments inside of there it's just going to cause stress and anxiety right? especially if the money's not going to be used for uh, you know potentially 30 40 50 years in the future so 
let's say you retire at 65. It doesn't mean you're going to pull all those dollars out the day you retire and put them in a bank account. You know, those dollars are going to continue to accumulate over time. So, so like in savings accounts or investment accounts, I would say retirement plans, one, you want to make sure they're set up to the allocation that you desire. So if you're growing for the long term, you don't need to take out money in the short term. Then being a little bit more aggressive and kind of letting those ride, so to speak, maybe checking in them once or twice a year to make sure like dividends are getting reinvested uh, or you don't have a big amount sitting in cash. Those are great goals. Um, if you're looking more towards like short-term goals, I, I think it's important to maybe be a little bit more on top of, of the accounts that you're saving in uh, for those specific needs. So whether it's a high yield savings account, uh, whether it's a, just, uh, I talked about an independence account or just it's simply a brokerage account. Uh, you know, those are dollars that you can put in immediately. You can take them out. There's not really any, any restrictions on that. Uh, so if that's money that you're going to be using potentially in the short midterm, you know, you might want to be a little bit more on top of those. And then I think from a high level, something that you want to look at pretty regularly, and this is never anybody's uh, most favorite thing to look at, but is, is budgeting. So uh, it, it really comes down to, you know, I do mine in Excel. Uh, there's great softwares out there. I think a lot of times it makes things way more complex than it needs to be. Uh, but if you're really into seeing like your specific transactions or if you know you have a problem um, spending dollars in a specific area and you want to you know maybe look a little bit deeper into the behavior of that then those software is like well mint's going away but uh, ynav is a good one so you need a budget is is an example or monarch money is another one um, you know those are great examples but what i do personally just i just do it in an excel spreadsheet so i know exactly how much my wife and I have come in each month. I automatically have our savings set up to whether it's for our retirement accounts or midterm goals or short-term goals. And then I know exactly what we can spend on a monthly basis uh, on different areas. So, you know, housing costs for the most part are fixed, you know, our expenses, things like that are, are for the most part fixed. So then really what it narrows down to is there's a set dollar amount that you can spend on a monthly basis on really kind of whatever you want to, and it's almost guilt-free spending. But it's important to know one, what that number is. And then two, you need to monitor that on an ongoing basis. You don't want to look out, you know, at the end of the month and realize, hey, I blew my budget by $1,500. Uh, I think that that's something maybe even like on a weekly or bi-weekly basis, maybe when you get your paycheck, that it's worth going in and looking at, hey, am I on track to spend what I think I should be spending at this current amount? That's that's how I do it personally. That's not necessarily the right or wrong way, but uh, I think it's a simple way, an effective way to, you know, if you've never budgeted before, it, it gives you some action items that you can do immediately. Yeah. And the, what I was actually thinking about when you were saying, don't check your 401k every month or every, you know, two weeks, because you're just going to say, oh, it went up a little, oh, it went down, a oh, you know, if that's going to be an anxiety provoking thing for you, don't do it. And that sort of reminded me of in school when you're like, we'll get a CBC, right? We're going to run some labs on this person. And you really don't know what you're looking for, right? You're just like, we're going to get labs. And your professor said, well, what are you looking for, right? What are you looking for? And if you're not going to change your treatment plan based on the result of those labs, 
don't order them. So if you're already like, I'm locked in, my 401k is automatically drafting out of my check every single month, you know, every single paycheck, I have my allocations, like I know what's going in, like, don't look unless you're looking to change something. Because if you look, then you might say, Oh, no, now we have to, because those things are often better left alone. Um, which for me has been one of the reasons that working with a financial advisor has been so helpful to us in the past. I feel like I have a really good handle on this. And still, sometimes I'll see an article or read a headline or see something and I'm like, oh, the market's down. And I don't even like, I'm not checking my accounts, but I'm just like, it's down. And I know, logically, I know it's coming back up. Like I know it's always come back up, which is why we're invested in it. And still I have that moment of anxiety where I'm like, oh, it's down. And then I hear my dad saying, it's on sale. If it's down, it's on sale. <laughs> um, so what do you say to the person listening who is like, I do see those headlines. I do you know, worry about market fluctuations and those things freak me out. Why is that person specifically going to benefit from working with a financial advisor? Yeah, I, I think a lot of times there's financial advisors, it's hard to quantify the benefit of, of the behavioral coaching. Um, but I, I think that a lot of times it's one using, and especially with, with APPs, uh, you, you know, you guys are very smart, you're very analytical. When you can explain things and back it up by data, I think it goes a long way of just kind of rehashing why one, you want to stay invested. And then two, what your goals actually are. So like, for example, let's say you own the S&P 500 and, uh, you know, you're going to need that those dollars in, in, in the short term, like in the next six to 12 months. And the market does drop. Yeah, you should be worried about that. Um, but your your goals, you know, you shouldn't have had that invested in the S&P 500 in the first place. So I think like an advisor can help you coach uh, or coach you on, you know, Hey, here's here's what my goals are. How do I position my money uh, that I'm taking the least amount of risk in the stuff in the money that I need in the short term? And how can I take the most amount of, uh, you know, I wouldn't say risk, but get the most amount of uh, potential upside in dollars that are, are coached for the long term? So uh, I think a lot of times too, advisors can just help you implement simple things that uh, you know kind of seem like pretty basic on the surface level, but you just don't typically do them on an ongoing basis. So a lot of times where uh, I have clients who are like, man, I'm, I'm really worried, you know, my account dropped, I, I, dro I, I looked in it dropped $20,000 since the last time I checked it. Uh, and then, you know, I kind of have a conversation with them and say, well, how do you, how do you actually check your accounts? Like, where do you actually access them at? And they're like, oh, well, I have it saved on my computer. I log in every morning on my, on Google. I'm like, well, why don't you just delete it from Google? Like, why don't you either make your password so hard that you can't remember to type it in every time? Or why don't you just completely remove it from your, your light of uh, line of sight? Uh, and just simple behavioral things like that go a long way of, you know, just kind of helping you control your own emotions and getting, really getting out of your own way. If you only take one sheet of paper to your next negotiation, let it be the PA Pay One Sheet. It's a tool designed to walk you through setting up the ideal outcomes, assessing the situation you are negotiating in, and it even includes a reminder of which negotiation skills you can use. Stop what you are doing. Download the One Sheet, print it out, 
fill it out, and literally bring it to the table with you when you are negotiating next. It's designed specifically to work in healthcare settings wherever you are. You can use the PA One Sheet to get the best deal, the biggest raise, and to help your confidence walking into your next negotiation. Head to www.tracybingaman.com slash one, that's O-N-E, to download your free copy of the PA Pay One Sheet and start prepping for your next negotiation today. It's linked in the show notes, but in case you missed it, it's at www.tracybingaman.com slash O-N-E. Yeah. I sort of, as you're talking about this, I'm thinking about how as a clinician, it's really hard for me to be unemotional and objective and really like logical when it's my family member that's having the medical problem. So if you called me and you're like, my kid fell and I'm not sure if their arm is broken, I would absolutely be able to triage you through like, this is what to look for. This is the imaging, you know, protocol or whatever. When it's my kid, I'm like, I don't know, (laughs) right? Like, I don't know. I know nothing about anything. And my husband's always like, aren't you supposed to know this? Like you're the person who does medicine. I'm like, yeah, but this one's my kid. So I'm too close to this human being to be objective. And I feel like that's true about our money too. Like you could teach any APP, anyone who's gotten through school and gotten credentialed and gotten board certified, you could teach them. This is how the market works. This is like logically, yes, we get it. But when it's our money, we're like, but, but I, this is really important to me because it's mine, right? Cause like it matters to me what happens to this money in the end. And so I think that just the fact that you are not me. So if I'm emotional about it, you are the one who can sort of objectively, logically from an outside point, say like, this is the diagnosis. This is the plan. This is what we're going to do in a way that makes sense and sort of takes that personal emotion out of it. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. There, there's a lot of financial advisors that actually have financial advisors. So for that exact point where, you know, it's easy to implement. You know, a lot of this stuff really is, is easy in theory, but implementation or sticking with it is the hard thing. Uh, and, and I think that there's there's certainly a lot of areas of expertise uh, advisors can you know provide education on whether it's like student loans or estate planning and things like that but a lot of it really comes down to coaching and keeping you accountable and then having an unbiased third party that you can bounce ideas off of uh, and you know for example let's say you want to go out and buy a you know forty thousand dollar fifty thousand dollar car and you say hey hey mr or mrs advisor here's what i'm thinking about doing uh, and you're really excited about it. You're, you're, you're jazzed up because, you, you know, you found the car of your dreams. Your advisor can sit there and take a step back and say, hey, remember that goal that we had of potentially taking, uh, you know, a larger trip to Europe next year uh, or doing that on an ongoing basis? If you buy, a, if you buy this expensive car and you're, you have a $1,000 a month payment, are you still going to be able to, to achieve that goal that you what your real goal is instead of? you know, there's tiny object that is kind of put in front of you. So I think examples like that is where advisors can really prove their worth and help you make sure that you're making decisions that are best now, but also best for your future self, you know, in 15 or 20 years from now as well. 
Yeah, for sure. So I'm curious, and I would love it if you could give us just a brief overview of how, say you're my financial advisor, and I have money in retirement accounts or in like this independent account, a brokerage account. How do you make money off of me and my money? <laughs> That's a great question. So there's there's several different ways an advisor can, can make money, and I'll just try to do it from a, a very high level. So there's there's really there's there's three different paths. So there's like the insurance path, for example. So let's say somebody sells you an insurance product uh, that is earning them a commission. So a lot of times they can sell you an investment uh, and they get a more or less like a underlying kickback for selling you a specific investment or insurance product. Uh, that's that's example number one. Uh, I don't actually do any insurance, you know, I'm what they call fee only. So I don't actually deal with insurance piece, uh, you know, really at all. I don't, I don't get commissions off of the investments uh, that I recommend. Um, but then there's, there's really like the secondary option, which is what they call fee-based advisors. So those are advisors that either charge an asset-based uh, approach on your, your dollar. So let's say you invest hundred thousand dollars um in an account and they are managing that for you typically the management fee is is somewhere around one percent so on an annual basis essentially a thousand dollars would get taken out of your account and that's their compensation for helping you manage their money uh, or your money so if those dollars grow let's say it grows to 250 obviously they get paid more they get paid 200 or uh, 2500 bucks for the year to help you if your money drops or loses value in theory, um, they're helping you kind of do everything they can to grow those dollars. So those that's kind of like the second piece of it uh, or second aspect of it. And they still can do some of the insurance uh, stuff as well. Um, and then there's really like the third option, which is where I land. And it kind of, I feel like it has the least amount of conflicts of interest as an advisor uh, is one, I can certainly help people if they need help investing and picking specific investing or investments and having somebody that monitor that on an ongoing basis so that would be something that i would charge an assets under management fee for uh to on you know be uh, ongoing uh and monitor your investments over time but i also charge a lot of times for people just need help uh with financial planning so they either they don't need help with investments they kind of have it already set up uh, or they don't really have any assets to manage, so to speak. So let's say you're a younger professional um, and you don't really have the time to accumulate dollars. Uh, there's really kind of a, an emerging space in the financial planning industry of just, and it seems really basic and I don't know why it hasn't been implemented before, but you simply just charge for the services you provide. So let's say we do a uh, a meeting every, every uh, month or we, we check in on an ongoing basis, I would just charge simply an, a flat hourly rate to help you along the path. And you can set that up. You can have that as like an annual retainer. So we know we're gonna help you for 30 hours this year. Here's what the price tag is gonna be. Um, you can pay for that monthly, ongoing, uh, or just on an annual basis. Or if you just want to have a you know one-time checkup, like let's say you go in for your annual physical, for example, um, and you just want to make sure that you're on track doing the things you want to do. A lot of times advisors, and I do this as well, I'll just charge a flat fee to do that. Um, so it might take me 10 or 15 hours to look at everything that has to do with your financial plan. And I just simply charge the dollars that is, I'm just getting compensated for my time essentially to, 
to help you along the way. So it can get certainly can get confusing because uh, there's certain there's all sorts of different models and ways to to get paid uh, as an advisor. But I think as a APP, at least my personal opinion is that you want to pay for the services you're actually getting uh, rather than potentially paying for an ongoing service that you're not necessarily getting value over uh, over time. Yeah. And I think that when you understand how that person is getting paid, I think you are less likely to feel like, oh, there's some mystery, like they're just taking some off the top or just like not, if you understand it and you feel comfortable with it, then I think you're going to feel you know, better about making that investment in your financial future, less confused. And the other thing that I want to say to the people listening is that you should get really great vibes from your financial advisor. You should not leave a meeting with them feeling like they were trying to confuse you or sell you something or get you to invest in something that you don't understand. Or if they're making you feel like they're just like patting you on the head, like, don't worry, I'll handle everything. You don't have to worry about anything. Like, a financial advisor is someone who you can partner with on this journey to independence, but it's not like having a financial advisor means you don't have to worry at all. Like there is always some aspect of your personal involvement in your personal finances, whether you have an advisor or not. And your advisor shouldn't be like pushing products that you're not comfortable with, or like you should feel like you just got out of a visit with a provider that's great at patient education, right? So someone who is like, I want you to understand why we're investing in this type of vehicle, why we're, you know, changing this around. If you're getting closer to retirement age, it should not be like, I'll handle it. Don't worry about it. If someone ever tells you not to worry about it, that's not the person for you. Yeah, exactly. So two things I'll, I'll add there. And I think that those are all great points. Um, the first thing is, Let's say you go, you have a specific pain point, and that's a lot of times what I figure out or, or find out with with uh, people that want to meet with me is they come in for a specific reason. So let's say it's student loans, or let's say it's hey, I don't know what the heck's going on my four one k. How do I actually figure this out? Um, maybe a, a red flag if you're meeting with an advisor. Let's say your your problem is student loans, and you go, uh, you come out of the meeting, and they're like, man, I have this great investment account for you. Well, they didn't do anything to actually answer your question or, or help you solve your problem. They're more or less trying to push a program or a product that uh, you know maybe helps you in a way, but also kind of fits their own uh, their needs as well. And I, I think the the second piece that kind of ties into that is, you know, we are especially now in the the, the digital age, you can look up basically the prices of everything. Uh, and I wouldn't be afraid to ask your advisor, how do you actually get paid? Like, how am I paying you? How are you making money? Uh, and if they can't give you a straight answer, that's, I would say, a pretty big red flag. Um, if you look on my website, for example, it's very clear the different fee structures that are available, um, you know, how you can work with me, what services you need, how are their priced. And I think that that just goes a long way of just like kind of taking that barrier out uh, of, of working with somebody because they already know going into the initial call that here's exactly how he's going to get paid to help me. And I think that that, if you can look for an advisor that is able to help you and, and you understand clearly how they're going to make money, uh, like you said, Tracy, it's, it's going to help go a long way to kind of calm your fears to, of that like subconscious feeling of, Hey, they're trying to sell me something or, or try to put me into something that's not my, in my best interest. 
Absolutely. I think just like when we're cultivating relationships with our patients, as transparent as we can be with them, that's going to lead them to trust us. And that transparency with the financial advisor, same. It's going to make you feel comfortable. Like It's not that we want these services for free. It's that you just want to understand what you're paying for, how you're paying for it, and that you see the value of that service. I think that helps to clear up a lot of things for listeners if they had questions about that. So if someone is listening and they're like, yes, my current financial advisor is a sleazeball. I'm just kidding. That's not. (laughs) Maybe they don't have one or they're like, hey, I actually feel like this is a hole in my financial plan that I don't have outside counsel that I don't have an advisor that I'm working with. What is the easiest way for them to get in touch with you if they're interested? Yeah, great question. Uh, the easiest way is just to, to go to my website. So advancedpracticeplanning.com. Um, there is a, a schedule a conversation button um, and you can click there and just schedule a free consultation. Um, and, and we can walk through your specific questions. And if it's something that I can help out, you know, on the initial call that doesn't involve like ongoing planning, I'll just tell you the answer, you know, that, um, you know, I'm, I'm big on providing education to the profession and uh, helping PAs and, and, and APPs along the way. So if it's something that's a simple question that I can help you with then, happy to do so. If it's more involved or more in depth, let's say you want me to take a look at your tax return to make sure that you're not paying too much in taxes or that you're saving in the right places, that's going to be a little bit more of an in-depth conversation. Um, but by the end of the call, you'll know exactly one, you know, what are the next steps here? If, I, if I'm going to pursue that, how how is Caleb going to get compensated for helping me along the way? Uh, and then, you know, really from there, it's just kind of an ongoing process where, uh, you know, we would set up a series of follow-up meetings to kind of one, help you understand the analysis that I did and then understand how to implement the recommendations that I provided. So, um, so long story short, my website's a great place to start. There's a lot of great articles on there. Uh, and also on LinkedIn and on Instagram, I try to share a lot of uh, articles and, and just kind of one hitters, like quick uh, tidbits of information. So I think those are great places that if you aren't sure yet, if, if you need to engage in an advisor, um, you can at least get some free uh, information or free uh, advice there as well. Um, those are those are great options. So, second piece of that, uh, just to kind of go back to your point, Tracy. Let's say you're you're working with an advisor, uh, or you want to work with an advisor. Uh, I think it's very important to know that they are somebody that has an understanding in your specific uh, area. For example, so. I don't work with, and I specifically don't work with people in, in tech very often because I'm just not an expert on everything that has to do with like stock options or um, you know and different types of employment contracts and NDAs, non-disclosure agreements that has to do with, with a tech professionals. So I wouldn't work with a tech professional unless I had the expertise to do so. And I think it's the same goes where if you're, if you're going to, it's like going to, uh, you know, you know, a physician or an APP, you know, they, you're going to go to a specialist if you need specialized advice. I think that that's a great place to start, um, you know, if you know what your specific need is. Awesome. Well, Caleb, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to come on the show today. I'm sure we'll have you back sometime in the future to talk about some of these topics in more depth, but thank you again for coming on the show. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Thank, thanks for having me and I uh, look forward to uh, uh, getting connected to anybody that, that needs some help. 
Nothing gets me quite as excited about talking about your financial future. My dream for you is that you manage your money in a way that you have enough margin and flexibility, independence, and freedom that when that time comes where you need to walk away or choose to take a break or want to take a sabbatical or are ready to retire, that you have the financial backing and the support that you need in order to be able to do those things for you and for your family. That's all for this episode of The PA Is In. This PA is out. Congratulations, you've just joined an awesome club. By listening to a full episode of The PA Is In, you are officially on the Unicorn PA team. Welcome aboard. What most team members do is they subscribe to the podcast because that allows them to automatically get the latest episode of the show. The life of your dreams exists on the other side of taking action. Keep making small shifts and keep getting better. Your life will improve, your career will soar, and you will have the confidence you need to create your own success. I will see you in the next episode. This PA is out.